Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. All right. Dun 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 dun. Finally, we say so long to last week's Nerdsville and Star Trek and all that stuff, and hello to a good old-fashioned summer blockbuster, dun-dun-dun-dun, Terminator Salvation, right? Hey, everyone, I'm Tom Kang, one of the campus pastors here at Liquid Church, and you've jumped in on the middle of some high-powered action as we've been exploring spiritual faith through the lens of summer blockbusters in this series that we call at the movies. Now, get your milk duds ready here because today we jump into the post-apocalyptic year of 2018 where our hero, John Connor, is leading this human resistance against an army of Terminators, these sort of cyborgs gone wild, right? And, and let's just let's get a show of hands here, okay? Let me see the how many of you guys actually grew up on this Terminator stuff, right? Yep, I, I, I'm with you, right? I mean, you remember all the Terminator movies. Remember all those cool special effects. I mean, they were like groundbreaking. Remember when like Liquid Metal first came out, right? And the Guns N' Roses double soundtrack. I mean, who can forget that? That was like their last best thing, right? And, and of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back, right? All that stuff. I mean, deep down, we love this stuff. Da-da-da-da-da, right? But believe it or not, there are actually some profound spiritual truths exposed in this movie as well. I I mean, it's not just about the crazy explosions and intense action scenes, you know, with the latest sort of spotlight on on the Hollywood hunk, you know, Christian Bale. Whoa, okay, that, that person needs help over there. But no, but seriously, there's actually a deep, profound spiritual side to all of this because the movie raises questions like, What does it mean to be human? And and where does that answer lead us? In in fact, one of the most chilling scenes from the movie, and don't worry, I'm not going to blow it for the rest of you who haven't seen it yet. I mean, you actually saw this in the trailer just now. But basically, one of the most intense scenes is, is, is where the good guys, they start to realize that these Terminators actually think that they're one of us. In other words... These machines actually think that they're human, right? You saw it in that scene in the trailer. It's the scene where John Connor, uh, played by Christian Bale, he's like interrogating Marcus Wright, who, who is like in this like crucifix form, right? He's, he's hanging there in this crucifix form, and, and Connor comes up to his face, and, and he says, what, what do you think you are? And, and, and Marcus Wright says, I'm human. And so John Connor, he, he like takes off the strap from his head and, and, and right, he, he looks down at his chest and he, and he sees this, this pulsating heart and it's encased in this endoskeleton of, of machinery and, and wires and he just can't believe it. And he's like, no! And later, Connor asks him in the movie, what are you? Wright's answer is, I don't know. Now, folks, 
Don't worry, because this is not going to turn into one of those angry sermons where, you know, the pastor starts pounding the pulpit and he's going to talk about, you know, pro-life and and anti-abortion. Nor is this going to be a lecture about the bioethics surrounding, you know, different things like cloning and stem cell research or or the the human genome project. No, actually, we've got even bigger fish to fry here because what we're about to do is we're about to take on the very doctrine of humanity. What does it mean to be human? And where does that answer lead us? And why and and how is it that that's even important, right? And before some of you, uh, you know, some of you are going to start to think, well, you know, that's easy. Just, you know, just read your Bible. It's right there in black and white. Well, Well, may I suggest to you that it's actually not that simple. And here's why. It's because the Bible actually says, Two completely different things. So, so, so let's check this out here. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms, right? It's, it's right there on page 379 in your Bibles. We're going to first take a look at Psalm 8, and we'll start with verse 3 right there, okay? Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, and it says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. This is David talking about God here. Verse 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Now, now folks, check this out. Keep, keep one finger here, right, and, and just flip the page with me and look at Psalm chapter 14. It's on page 381 in your Bibles, and, and I'm just going to read the first half here. Page, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, okay, right here. The fool says in his heart, says verse 1, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on, his, uh, on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Folks, do you see that? Two psalms back to back, the same exact author, the same exact book, both are answering the same exact question. What is humanity? What does it mean to be human? Yet, one perspective is the highest, most positive, and the other The other view of human nature is the darkest, lowest view. One is a celebration. The other is a complete damnation. Yet both come from the same source. I mean, so which is it? Uh, humans are inherently good. You know, they are the crown of creation. They, They rule over all the earth. They rule over all the other creations. Or, humans are absolutely depraved, corrupt, not a single good one in the whole bunch. 
polar opposites. So which is it? Right? I mean, what are you? Is human nature inherently good? Or is it inherently bad? Or I know, I know, I get, I get it. Maybe, maybe God is sort of like this, you know, you know, he's like cosmically schizophrenic, right? Uh, and the one minute he's, he's acting and saying and behaving all this way, and the next minute in the flip of a dime, he does something else, says something else, right? Or I know, I get it, I get it. Some of you are thinking, ah, oh, you see? This is just one of those examples. They're all over the place where the Bible contradicts itself. I told you, it can't be trusted. It's not reliable. It can't be taken too seriously, right? Some of you are thinking that, right? Well, hold on a second. I actually like the way that Dr. Tim Keller, to whom I'm indebted for many of these insights, he, he put it this way. While examining these two psalms, he said, only when read together do they give us something completely different than any other religion or philosophy can offer. In other words, these two psalms need to be read and understood together. They're like two sides of the same coin. And you see, when you read it and you understand it that way, what, what you get is an understanding of human nature that is so completely different than anything any other religion or philosophy offers. It is uniquely, utterly, totally different from anything any other religion or philosophy offers. This is, this is exciting stuff here, right? So let's check this out. Let's see what the Bible actually has to say about who we are. And we'll start with this, with this nice view found in, in Psalm 8 here, right? Here you're going to notice that the author, King David, starts out with this, you know, philosophical question, right? What is man, right? That, that, that's what he starts out with, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Now, have you ever stopped to think that humans are the only ones that can stop and think and ask that sort of question, right? What is man? And, and where is the answer found? It's actually in the next verse there. Look at verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. In other words, man is the crown of creation. You know, just like Pastor Tim mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about creation, he went to Genesis 1 there, and it reads, Genesis 1, verse 26, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So folks, in other words, Genesis chapter 1, and Psalm chapter 8, which we're reading today, in both those passages, we are told that men, humanity, is a bunch of image bearers of God. That, that we're these image bearers, that, that we are made to bear God's glory and to reflect his image. And, and if you think about it, right, there are lots of things that bear other images, right? That there are lots of things that basically reflect other things, right? For instance, puddles. Uh, a, a puddle can reflect something. A, a puddle can, can bear the image of something, right? Uh, but but so, can, so can a mirror, right? Mirrors bear images as well, right? 
And so humans, like none other of God's creations, we're being told, are like mirrors, not puddles. Right? How? Why? Because we've been uniquely made in God's image. Think of it this way. Pretend that you're walking along this beautiful beach, right? And, and there's this gorgeous sunset, and, and you see palm trees, and you can smell the salt air. You hear the seagulls from afar. And, and all of a sudden, at the corner of your eye, you see this homeless person sort of sprawled out on a bench, right? He hasn't bathed in weeks. I mean, he is totally disheveled. I mean, honestly, you can hardly look at him without coiling back after just a second, right? Now, here's my question to you. As God looks down at that scene, what aspect of creation do you think he considers the most beautiful? Here's a hint. I bet it has nothing to do with the sunset, seashells, and, and sand and seagulls, even though he created every single one of them, as beautiful as they are. No, the Bible says that the one thing most precious in that scene, other than you, is that bum. Why? Because he, more than the sunset, sand, and seagulls, is made in the image of God. He reflects God's glory. He is, you are, image bearers of God. You need to think mirrors, right? We're actually the crown of creation. Think about that, right? You, you, you see it in our creativity, our, our rationality, our personality. We have the ability, uh, more than any other creation, to most fully reflect the image of God, like nothing else in all of creation. We're, we're the only ones who can philosophize and, and use language and do art and, and create. Why? Because we were created in God's image. We're the crown of creation. And folks, that has enormous, I'm talking about huge implications. Because just think about it now, right? Psychologically and emotionally, no matter what, no matter what others think of you or, or, or how you evaluate yourself, there is one rock-solid, objective truth about you that never changes. What is that truth? The truth is you are valued by God. God values you. It doesn't matter. Check this out. It doesn't matter what you've done or, or where you're headed. It doesn't matter what kind of baggage you carry or what kind of burdens you've placed on others. Folks, it doesn't even matter how you're living right now. Do you hear me? It doesn't matter how you're living right now even. What's unchangeable is that you are valuable in God's eyes. That never changes. You are valuable to God. That does not change. I mean, how huge is that? And, you know, this, this runs contrary, right, to the evolutionary understanding that, that we're just a bunch of random chemicals, you know, that have kind of haphazardly been put together, right? You know, as famous humanist 
Oliver Holmes put it, there is no innate intrinsic difference between a, a human being, a baboon, or a grain of sand. Yikes, I mean, it sounds like someone got up on the wrong side of the bed, right? No. No, but you see, the Bible says that you do have intrinsic worth. In fact, the highest worth of all God's creation. And that has tremendous social implications as well. For instance, it undermines all sorts of types of, you know, uh, stereotypes and, and caste systems because of all of a sudden the biblical view of the poorest beggar is that he has the same exact value, that, that poor beggar, that bum, as the royal prince who resides in the castle. These two people, in God's view, are ultimately of equal value. And, and so this foundational biblical view of humanity, that, that we are all made in the image of God, has tremendous implications psychologically, emotionally, and socially, and of course, spiritually as well, right? And here's why. Because although we're all mirrors made to bear the image and glory of God, we need to remember that mirrors... Mirrors are not light bulbs, right? A mirror is not a light bulb. What does a light bulb do? You see, light bulbs emanate their own radiance. They have their own glow. They have their own brightness. They produce their own light, their own beauty. They produce it from within. But the best that a mirror can do is reflect light. That's the best. That's the best you're going to get, is a mirror reflecting light. It, it simply reflects the beauty, reflects, it reflects the radiance, right? So remember, we are image bearers. We are mirrors. We reflect whatever we face. And, and so what does that mean? Answer, it means you'll never find your ultimate sense of value and of worth, and of purpose, and of beauty, just by trying to look inside of yourself, right? That's not how it works. You are a mirror. You're not a light bulb. So, so no matter how much you look inward, and no matter how much you look inside and say, ah, you are smart enough, you're good enough, and doggone it, people like you, it's just not going to work because ultimately you need someone on the outside to say those things to you. Meaning you need to look to something or someone on the outside to give you that affirmation. Why? Because it's your human nature. You can't generate it. You can't emanate that radiance from within. And this, by the way, is why so many of us will look to romance or, or finances or family or, or whatever or whoever on the outside to speak those messages that our soul craves. Because here's the thing, folks. If, if you try to look to anything but God, your self-identity and image is always on the verge of collapse. 
Because you weren't meant to reflect the guy in the mirror. Okay? You, were ref- you were made to reflect the image of God. That is why when some of you break up <clears throat> from, a, from like a romantic relationship, you're not just sad, but, but you feel like you've lost your very self, right? Same for those of you who, who your finances have fallen apart, or, or maybe your kids are, are acting up, right, and they're rebelling against you. You become devastated because it's not just that you lost a job. It's not, that, it's, it's, it's not just that people are letting you down. It's that you've lost your very sense of self because you thought you, thought you were a light bulb, rather than a mirror, right? See, folks, we're all made in the image of God. We're created to reflect the beauty and glory of God, not just generate or, uh, our own or, or look for it in others. Humans are created to reflect the beauty of God. And that is the highest possible view of mankind. So now, now let's, now let's look at the other side of that same coin. Let's turn that coin over, right? Psalm 14, because here we have one of the lowest, harshest, most negative views of human nature that you ever want to see. Uh, look with me here at Psalm 14. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Now, now some of you are thinking, hey, hey, wait a second there, preacher. You know, that's a little harsh, don't you think? No one who does good, no one who seeks God. I mean, I know, I know plenty of people that seek God. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm in church today, aren't I? That counts for something, right? But you know, here's where we want to be extra careful. I mean, I talk to people all the time, throughout the week, almost every day, right, who in some way, shape, or form say something like this. You know, I was really seeking God to heal my mother. But, you know, she died anyway. And, and, and folks, with all due respect and sensitivity here, we, we need to pause there and ask the tough question. Were you really seeking God? Or were you seeking healing? See, 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 do you see what I'm saying? Oftentimes we think that we are seeking God himself, but in actuality, we, we were, just, we're just seeking some other end, be it health, Money, you know, finances, companionship, success, whatever. And, and so then God just becomes the means to an end. And, and so if we're honest, we have to admit, you know what? Come to think of it, I'm not actually seeking God. No, I, I'm actually seeking things from God, but I'm not seeking God himself. That's what this psalm is talking about. You see, the same holds true for when it says, there is no one who does good. Now, I, 
I get it. Of course, of course, relatively speaking, there are people who do good, right? I mean, just think back to earlier in the year, you know, with Captain Sully, how he, you know, he landed, he navigated that, that, that airplane into the Hudson River, and he saved over 150 lives, you know? People are doing good things, big and small, all the time, every day, but guess what? We're being challenged in this passage to look a little bit deeper, to, to think a bigger thought here, because you know what? It actually takes two things to truly make something good, right? Not only the form of something, not only the action, but what else? The motives too, right? It needs to have good form, it needs to be a good action, but it also needs to be generated from the good motives, right? From good motives for, from within. For instance, you know, if, if I give money to the poor, great, awesome. If I give money to the poor so that I'm celebrated, so that other people see, so that people think good and, and nice things about me, not so good. T.S. Eliot actually put it this way, the greatest sin is to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Makes sense, right? There is no one who does good. There is none who seek God. But you know, I get it. There are some of you still right now, honestly, you're thinking, you know what, okay, but that's, that's still just a little bit too harsh. I get it, right? So, so let me ask you, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to, to think of it this way, okay? Uh, think of it this way. Surely, if anyone in our lifetime, as long as you and I have been alive, if, if anyone in our lifetime uh, was known for doing good and seeking God, it had to have been Mother Teresa, right? No one's got anything bad to say about her, right? I mean, she spent close to 50 years living amongst the lepers of Calcutta, the poorest of the poor. Her name was literally synonymous with selfless abandon for the sake of others. It's like she represented, she, she actually in a real way represented all that was good and possible in humanity. Yet listen... Listen to this, uh, how this Times article revealed some insights about Mother Teresa's internal battles with self. Check it out. Although perpetually cheery in public, in more than 40 communications, many of which have never been published, she bemoans the dryness, darkness, loneliness, and torture she is undergoing. And she compares the experience to hell and at one point says it has driven her to doubt the existence of heaven and even of God. She is acutely aware of the discrepancy between her inner state and her public demeanor. The smiles, she writes, is a mask or a cloak that covers everything. Similarly, she wonders whether she is engaged in verbal deception I spoke as if my heart was in love with God. Tender, personal love, she remarks to an advisor. If you were there, you would have said, what hypocrisy. Whoa. I mean, did I just hear that right? I mean, folks, this is Mother Teresa we're talking about. I mean, if Mother Teresa was acutely aware of the internal disconnect between her private heart and her public face. 
if, if she, by her own admission, felt like there were times when her smile was just a mask, a, a cloak that covered everything, if Mother freaking Teresa, did I just say that? If, if Mother Teresa battled with verbal deception and authenticity, but I, I'm just going to close my Bible. I, I'm, I'm just going to go home. Or I can accept the fact that, you know what? Maybe the Bible's right. Huh. Maybe, maybe the Bible's right when it says that we are infinitely, all of us, exalted and at the same exact time, at the same moment, we are infinitely, all of us, fallen. That is human nature. And it's also the biblical view of humanity. You see, we are infinitely exalted, created in God's image, right? It's that mirror thing, created in his image. And we are infinitely fallen. No one is perfectly good and seeking God all the time. We are both at the same time time and i and i think deep down inside you know this you know it deep down inside you know it i mean it's the only way we can possibly account for history it's the only way we can account for ourselves i mean the only way we can make sense of who we are and how we behave sometimes good sometimes bad i, I mean the, the only way we can make sense of all that is to realize that we are both at the same exact time, we are both of these things, infinitely exalted and infinitely fallen at the same exact time. And if we are honest, we'll admit that sometimes that's enough to drive you crazy, right? I mean, have you ever had that battle? I mean, you know what you're supposed to do, you know the good things, but you just keep on doing the bad, right? I mean, sometimes you don't even know what to do or, or why you behave the way that you do, right? Folks, I, I want you to just listen to the way that one person, this is a different person, describes his frustration from being trapped between his own infinite good and his own infinite bad. Here is an actual excerpt from his personal journal. He writes, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. I mean, it sounds like a little bit like, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here, right? My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Uh, something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Question, folks, can, can you identify with what this guy is writing here? I mean, uh, uh, of, this, of this being torn in two and just, and just hating yourself for it? He continues, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps i'm at the end of my rope is there no one 
who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Folks, in your most honest moment, when we look into the mirror and we strip away the mask, you just, you just take off that mask. Isn't that the real question? Is there no one who can do anything for me? Can't anybody help me? Some of you are wondering right now, who, who wrote that? Who's, whose journal is that? Who, who wrote these most conflicted words? Who, who describes his internal battle between you know, infinite good and, and infinite bad at war within, within him so honestly? Who, who describes that? Try the Apostle Paul. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually his letters to the Romans, right? I mean, you thought the candor of Mother Teresa was a doozy. Paul's actually the one responsible for writing almost half the New Testament. Yet one more time, this is coming from Romans chapter 7, verse 24. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my ropes. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Paul's answer, it's right there in the next verse. Romans chapter 7, verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in the life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. See, folks, the only answer, the only hope for content, not just continuity, but for sanity, the only hope for sanity is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the secret to human nature. Why? Because only Jesus Christ is the perfect human being. See, he lived the life that I was supposed to live without any fault or waywardness. Yet, he was also the substitute for my sins. He died the death that I was supposed to die. He lived the life I was supposed to live but he died the death that I was supposed to die because there on the cross, he took on all the sins of humanity. Every crooked thought, every wayward action, every heinous act, and, and, and the punishment reserved for me, he took upon himself. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ is the secret to human nature. Because check this, he was the perfect man who lived the blameless life created for me. And at the same time, he was the perfect God who voluntarily died the death reserved for me. You see, Jesus is the answer to human nature because he's the perfect God Man, Jesus Christ is the perfect God-man. See, in other words, he's the perfect man who lived the perfect life, deserving no punishment, yet he took on every ounce of it because he was a loving, perfect God who perfectly was filled with this mercy and love. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, actually puts it this way. Verse 9 says, He suffered death, this is talking about Jesus, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for who? 
everyone. And that's talking about you and me and all of humanity. You see, Jesus, as the perfect human, tasted death. So that imperfect humans, all of us, would never have to taste eternal death. And that, you see, is why Jesus Christ is the secret to understanding who we are. Because you don't just, you don't just stop with humans. No, you need to go beyond humans and actually look beyond humans to the Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ. And simply put, if you are human, then you need the ultimate human, the ultimate God-man, Jesus Christ, to be your life, to be inside of your life. He is the answer to all your longings. Only He can bring peace to the battle within. You know, folks, in, in Terminator Salvation, you know, we, we saw how the movie actually hinges on this question, right? What are you? Right? And, and, and that's what John Connor, who, who's, by the way, his initials are JC. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> John Connor, he asks Marcus this because, because in Marcus he sees this like half machine, half man sort of thing. And, he, and he's thinking, you know, what are you? What, what, what do I even call? You, you're like a monster. What are you, man? And, 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 you know, that's the same reaction that people often have in real life when they first meet a man named Nick Wojcik. What are you? Because, you see, Nick was actually born without limbs. No arms, no legs. And, and, and though we tend to judge based on the external, Christ resides in the internal. So friends, I want you to take a look here at Nick's story and how Christ changed his life. I was born without arms and legs and uh, my parents were, were dedicated Christians all their lives and then I came along and really tested their faith. In Christ alone my hope is found he is my light, my strength, my song. This call. Do you know how mothers don't want to hold their firstborn like they're anxious? Well, when I was put next to my mother's side, guess what she said? Take him away. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are sealed, when striving If God loved my parents, why would he let something that bad happen to them? I'm thinking, well, why me? Like, I'd go to the shops and, and like, point out to people to God. Like, I said, God, why don't, you, why don't you choose her or him? Like, he looks like he could handle something like this. I just can't do it. This gift of love and righteousness. It's just got hard sometimes. I really wanted to end my life. I just couldn't see anything. Till on that cross, Jesus I was stopped at the verse where it says, God made you in his image. And I'm like, right. 
why would he make me like this? And I got so angry. I said, God, prove to me that you are real. Prove to me that you made me and that you love me. Why? Why me? There in the ground, his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Why does he let us go through struggles? Why does he let us go through suffering? So he can strengthen us to draw us closer to him and grow with him. But I want to tell you that there is a reason why God hasn't answered your prayer yet. He hasn't, quote, rescued you from your suffering because he's strengthening your heart. He's preparing your heart for something more. The joy of the Lord is knowing that no matter what happens, God is with you and He will never forsake you. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see that His right arm is nailed to the cross. Nick, you don't have a right arm to be nailed to the cross. You look to His left arm and His left arm is nailed to the cross. You don't have a left arm to be nailed to the cross. Then you look down to His fully extended legs. And you see that they're nailed to the cross. You don't have any legs to be nailed to the cross, Nick. The way that God made you, you cannot be put up and limited by being on the cross. Jesus is on the cross for you. You are the unlimited part of Christ's body that's going to go out and spread the gospel like no one's ever dreamed of before. There are times in your life there are storms going to come in your way and it might not be in your control as often they are. And he might not stop the storm, but he's going to embrace you and keep you warm till the storm passes. Amazing. Just amazing. It's actually so beautiful, right? I mean, you know, I actually... I actually got the chance to meet Nick in person last year along with a, another staff member. And, and, and can I just tell you, Nick let me actually, he actually let me hug him. And, and, and he spent some time actually praying for me. And, and honestly, I, I've actually given this some thought. It is really, it is really hard for me to think of a person, at least in my life, who is more happy just joyful and filled with this incredible abundance of life than my buddy Nick. And you know, I have to just wonder, you know, what, what accounts for all this joy? What accounts for all this purpose and meaning of his life? And, and I just have to wonder, is it because he so clearly bears the image of God, that he reflects God's goodness and love and mercy and his perspective and his wisdom and his godliness. I mean, it's just truly amazing. And, and, and you know, you just know deep inside of your heart, it's only possible because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. So friends, how about you? I mean, does your understanding of human nature merely end with psychology? You know, uh, sociology, you know, anthropology? D does your doctrine of humanity get stumped 
When you see a man without limbs who is actually joyful, right? Folks, we live in this constant tug of war, the constant battle between the infinitely exalted and the infinitely fallen, the infinitely good and the infinitely bad, until we actually throw up our arms and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm actually sick of it. I'm not really living the life that I know that I was created to live. It's because I'm caught between these two ways, and it is driving me crazy. I'm neither here nor there. Only when you can see and admit that and give your life to the one who lived the perfect life for you, but also the one who died the ultimate death for you. The one who lived the perfect life for you and the one who died the ultimate death for you Only when you put your trust in that perfect man who is also the perfect God, Jesus Christ, will you experience complete salvation. Folks, if that's you, and and you've never put your trust in Jesus for salvation, you don't have this personal relationship with him, you're you're actually going to have a chance in just a minute when we pray, right? And for those of you who, who are already on this path, won't you be encouraged to continue to follow Jesus because only in his footsteps will you find everything you possibly need for true life salvation amen folks let's pray let's pray together heavenly father lord i just um i come before you now god and i just i'm in awe of you lord you indeed are the creator and the maker of all things lord and your son jesus christ is our savior we we understand through your scriptures and through your word that we are infinitely exalted. We, we are the highest of creations. We're made to rule over all of your creation, yet at the same time, we're infinitely fallen as well. And that we need Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, to intercede, to fill in the gap to you, Lord. So we just pray, Father. I just pray for anyone here who right now, the, the, that light bulb, it just turned on, so to speak, in them, Lord. And, and they want that relationship. They don't want this dichotomy. That they, they want this new life in you, Lord. I pray that you would just, your spirit would just attack their hearts right now and speak to them, Lord, and breathe, breathe in new life inside of them, Lord. And I pray, I pray, Father, for those of us that are, that are already on the journey, Lord, that we would never lose sight, that we would always delight in your gospel message. And Father, that, that we can just trust in you, continually trust in you, and, and follow your lead wherever you go, Lord. We love you, we worship you, and it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, that we pray. Amen.